Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Late night Midnight on the interstate I didn't feel so great Welcome back to Straight from the Source of Michael Russo, coming to you from a uh, hotel in Manhattan with my colleague, my partner in crime here, covering the Eastern Conference Final, our incredible Tampa Bay Lightning writer, Joe Smith. You can follow him on Twitter at, is it Joe Smith TB? Yeah, Joe Smith TB. TB. It's in TBD. There are a few Joe Smiths out there, apparently, so you have to kind of narrow it down a little bit. So. We, we took the D out. It should be Joe Smith TBD because it's always TBD when his season is going to end. It's usually a lot later than the other beat writers at The Athletic. Um, Joe, you know, as I joke with you all the time, I mean, you, you've got to be the hardest working writer at The Athletic. Definitely one of our most talented writers as a whole, but certainly from a work ethic standpoint, nobody's covered more games than you in the last three years. Uh, you, you've, I mean, this is now your third Stanley Cup run in a row when all of us get to have these uh, longer off seasons and kind of reboot for the season. How do you do it? Because it... I mean, you know, just watching you work, I was telling one of our editors yesterday, you know, I've always respected you from afar, but watching you work and what type of pro you are, I mean, it's just been incredible, uh, the amount of work that you've done the last several years. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah, obviously, it means a lot coming from you, you know, standard for all of us. Uh, you've been here working the hour for hours so in the lobby here before I came down to join you for this podcast. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's been an incredible run. Um, you know, I, I don't think a lot of us expected this to happen, you know, especially after what happened in Columbus uh, a few years back. Um, but yeah, I think, I think, you know, I'm sure my wife would like to have an earlier summer, um, uh, <laughs> that hasn't been the case the last few years, but, um, every time I think back to it, I, I, I use it, think about it this way, I'm like, essentially you're covering an historic team, right? Yeah. An historic run. And so you're like, you want the coverage to, to match that. Right. And you want, you know, people are still talking about the eighties Islanders, right? Eighties Islanders have been brought up every day. You know, they're this 40 years ago. They won their Stanley cups. I think maybe in 30 years, people talk about the Tampa Bay lightning. Yeah in similar ways, potentially. And you want to be able to kind of chronicle it, every drama here and there, uh, best you can. And so it's been been fun. It's been uh, exhausting, but it's been uh, a big learning experience, too, to go through this and try to come up with different stories and the same guys that have been on the same team for a while. So yeah. that's the biggest challenge in my mind is trying to find unique angles on the same guys that have been... A lot of the guys have been here for all cup run for... I mean, since I covered the team in 2014, a lot of these guys have been there. Stamkos, Kucherov, Hedman... Um, you know, so that's the, the fun part is trying to find unique little angles in each one's story and their arc uh, to get here. And yeah, I mean, we've we, especially it makes it much more difficult just the lack of access the last couple of years because of the pandemic. Yet you continue to churn this out. I was talking to our St. Louis colleague Jeremy Rutherford yesterday about you, and and we were talking about like it's not only the quantity that you do, but it's it's 
you do these stories where it feels like you've been working on them for weeks after weeks after weeks, and you you churn them out every single day. How what is your process like? I, mean, I was uh, you sat in front of me on the plane yesterday, and you were writing your John Tortorella story. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, well, I think for me, what what helps is I'm able to work on a bunch of stories at once. You know, where it's not all kind of I'm not all rushing to get one done in a day. Um, so I'm you you pick away throughout the course of a season on a certain story. Um, knowing in the in your back of your mind this could be a story down the line or somebody has a great series that you have something kind of in the hopper a little bit. You know, example is Anthony Sorelli's story I wrote in the uh, Toronto series. I know him and Marner work out together in the summertime and I've been kind of been chipping away at that for a bit. I talked to the trainer. Um, you know, I when you saw Crosby, he was in town. I, I asked him about, you know, about Sorelli since he's one of the top players in the league and was he like, to, you know, to play against. Um, and so when I had some of those relationships already from his friend, their mutual friends. So when they played in the series, I just recalled some of the guys during that series, so the, the workout buddies, and they had some good anecdotes about staying with Anthony Sorelli during the series and watching film with him late at night after game three against, you know, against the martyred line. Um, just stuff that I was fortunate enough to kind of fall into after just kind of chipping away through the course of a season. So um, it, it takes some organization or some luck here and there with some people calling you back at the right time. But uh, for me, what, what's helped is being able to kind of chip away at, at each story. And that way, something it works out into your, into your favor where it becomes a good storyline. You can just kind of just narrow in on that one and then kind of focus on it. And a great example is your Kucherov story the other day. I mean, that's one where, you know, you work on it for a long time. You got Gretzky on the phone, all this stuff. Then they're down 2-0 in the series. You're like, I don't even know if I'm going to get to use it. And what if Kucherov, of course, do? Game three has this monster game. Gives you a perfect time to now run that story. There was a chance that story might never have ran or maybe it had not yeah. run until next season, right? Um, but, but, yeah, that's the thing where you, you have to – read the kind of the pulse of the team like you do so well in Minnesota, Mike, is like no one wants to read a, a feature on a, about a, a great player <laughs> after they're down 2-0 and their season's on the line, yep. right? So I think you have to kind of kind of get a whole finger on the pulse of what the team, what the your subscribers want, you know, or what they're like, what they're curious about, you know. I don't know how you do it, Mike. Do you do you read a lot of your mentions? Do you get a lot of email feedback kind of thing like that? I, I do. do. I, you know, I am one of those. I know there's a lot of writers, especially with social media these days, that like to really just not look at the mentions because it could get so toxic. But I, I, to me, I use that as a real vehicle to know what the fans are even talking about or what they're asking, the questions they have. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that gets stressful, but I, I don't think that I'm ever going to be able to be that writer that just never sort of looks at the the mentions. I will say, I don't read the comments on the articles a lot. Yeah. That does stress me out. <laughs> I don't know why Twitter like offers less stress to me. Twitter's than, more sane to you than yeah, the comment section of the yeah, Athletic. It's crazy, so. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, maybe it's because of the people that uh, in the comments, they like to go after you a little more personally than the ones on Twitter. Well, at least they have their name on there. They yeah, have their, exactly. It's like Joe S or, yeah. you know, Mike R or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, it's been... Uh, uh, a fun ride this year mm -hmm. and obviously you know looking at the matchup um this series has kind of been a, a tale of two series basically game one and game two game three and game four i'm just curious like now you've kind of been pop you know in this on this series what do you think about going to happen in game five well i i think right now this is tampa bay lightning they've seized control of this now obviously you know game five I, the way that i've thought and i think you and i were talking before game four is i thought the winner of game four was going to win the series and now i still feel that way um, tonight's obviously a huge game. I think the Rangers' injuries are, uh, you know, we're doing this in the morning. This 
this podcast will be out before Game 5, so we might have some answers um, to these questions, but Strom's injury, um, Goudreau could barely walk the other day, um, Heedle, mm-hmm. um, this is, you know, if you don't play with Strom and Heedle, yeah. two of your best centers, that's a tough, tough chore against the Lightning. Don't you agree? Yeah, I agree, and I think what stands out to me, just talking to John Cooper yesterday and the players, is, you know, much was the talk about the layoff, right, the nine-day break in between mm-hmm. series and rust versus rest, and uh, I think that was that rust was a factor yeah. in the first two games of the series, and a couple of players were like, took me a game or two to get my legs to figure out, you know, the crispness in your passes, just the timing and everything like that. But now this is where the rest will help the Lightning in games five, six, and seven because they have their legs. They're, they found their game. They're relatively healthy. They might get brain point back either tonight or in the next game. Um, and so I think now that they have that, that they rest in their back pocket, that still could help them while the Rangers have played, what, you know, 18 what, uh, games yeah, 18 in games. this seven-game series. That's a lot of intense, intense hockey emotionally, physically, and mentally. So maybe they might get run out of gas. But uh, I think, obviously, game five is pivotal. No one, not Captain Obvious here to say that, but uh, I think it's, you've definitely seen that trend in the direction of Tampa Bay, a championship team knowing how to win, and now they have a chance to take control here. And the big one that uh, showed Russ was Vasilevsky, and now yeah. he has absolutely scraped that off. He's been terrific the last two games. But you saw that. I mean, sometimes I think we look at Vasilevsky as being, being this sort of, like, superhuman goaltender. You know, because... Mm-hmm. Again, it just seems like goaltending right now in the National Hockey League is, is, is um, I don't know if it's just the shooters have surpassed him to such a degree, but you look at the numbers, you know, historic, uh, you know, 20, 20 plus year lows and save percentage and things like that. There's only been a, a couple guys this year that had monster years. He, he had, a, you know, I would say not, uh, compared to his past, his regular mm-hmm. season numbers weren't great, but we always look at him as a superhuman guy and to see him kind of not be as clean the first two games was a little bit of alarming, but clearly he just needed to get his legs back under him. He did, and, and think about it for a goalie. Like, how many times you've covered a million practices in your career? How many times do you ever see guys shoot high over the shoulder in yep. practice, or yep. you know, east-west passes and and one timers over the blocker side? Like they they don't face that kind. They don't face traffic in the crease in practice. They're not bumping them there. Like so, that for a goalie, it might be the harder hardest position, I guess, to come out of that break because you don't have that live shot feeling. Um, but for him, I've covered his entire career, so it's really inc- incredibly impressive. Uh, his relentless work ethic at, at his craft, um, mentally, he's one of the strongest you know, players that I've been around, and I think that's what helps him, ele- not say elevate, but his preparation helps him re- lean back on that when they play in the bigger moments, as you've seen in the last three cup runs. Um, you mentioned uh, at the very beginning of the podcast that 2019 loss to Columbus, and yesterday you had a chance to talk to John mm-hmm. Tortorella, who's the last coach that ever uh, beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the playoffs. Ten series ago. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, and uh, you wrote a really cool story today uh, about that. Uh, t- tell everybody about that story and your conversation with Torts. Yeah, like we were trying to get a hold of each other for recent, you know, this past week. And I just, you know, Lightning have said Columbus, Columbus, Columbus so many times. Yeah, it's the last, crazy. You know, they, they're, they admit it. They're like, yeah. we might not have won those Cubs had that series not happened and humbled us and forced us to change, right? It takes a lot for somebody to admit that they – have an issue and that you know dig deep and that's roster construction that's they didn't over you know they didn't overhaul their whole system but they definitely had to change the way they wanted to play i talked to tortorelli yesterday and he was like giving them a lot much of credit he goes we created a monster here you know like back then we just wanted to win a series they didn't know what would happen after that but um he felt that they the lighting only played one way back in 19 they were this greatest show on ice and they they wanted to beat you offensively and they felt that they could just force them to play uh, dump the puck in and, and work for your chances that they could 
make them make them stubborn. And we saw that play out in that series. And he's watching them this series now. He's like, they can play any kind of way. They can play an up-tempo game. They can play a grinded-out game. They can play both games in the, in the same game. Um, and he was just incredibly impressed with what, you know, John Cooper, you know, and he knows as a coach, he'd be stubborn. He'd let ego get in the way sometimes for them to kind of put that aside and find a way to get guys to buy in and get the players to do it. So I thought it was an interesting perspective looking back at that 19 series, almost like 10 series ago, how crazy that is, uh, and see how much different uh, look this Tampa Bay team is. And that's why they've won what they've won. How, do, how does Julian Brisebois do this? I mean, they lost, and, and frankly, John Cooper, I mean, they lost their entire third line last year, what, Goudreau and Gord and... Um, Coleman. And, and Coleman, Blake And Coleman. Tyler Johnson, too. Yeah, yeah, and Tyler Johnson, who I got a chance to talk to the other day. Um, and, and I think a lot of people, as good as the Lightning are, you know, they've all incredible blue line, the superstar goalie, uh, amazing forwards up front with guys like Point and Stamkos and Kucherov and Palat. Um, I think a lot of us looked at that Stanley Cup run last year as that third line being sort of an engine for them. Yeah. And then you lose that entire line, and yet here they are again. How do they do that? Well, I mean, I think it starts with having your best players being your best players. And the common theme in these, these Cup runs is, you know, the Kucherovs, you know, best loves, he's the headbands. They need your best players to be that way. But you also need to find role players in the system. And what the Lightning, I think, do really well is they know what the, the high-level skill they have, and they have them signed long-term, they know what they have there. They find particular fits in guys that they know um, from a character standpoint, from a skill standpoint, can, can, can fit in those particular roles. And they don't look at the biggest, splashiest guy at the trade deadline wasn't Nick Paul, right? But they needed somebody yeah. to help on the penalty kill. They needed a guy who had some size up front. They needed a center. Um, they needed somebody who they thought maybe was kind of underserved in a different team because he wasn't playing that bigger role, but felt like in the pressure situations, they've seen him in World Junior, they saw him at World Championships. They saw him back uh, Tuesdays in North Bay Battalion that he played in the playoffs, and he elevated his game. So I, I think they find identify specific needs, and then they're very aggressive in going and getting it, right? People thought they overpaid for Blake Coleman and Barclay Goudreau. I don't think anybody's thinking they're overpaying now because they knew yeah. that they needed. They went after it. Um, they said to hell with what people think about it at the time, and they just they just stick with their, what they want to do. And those pieces have been so integral integral to other runs, right? And like you're seeing Brandon Hagel playing his best hockey now. He'll score a big-time goal, I'm guessing, sometime in this series or in the, in the Cup Final if they make it that far. So um, what they've done is they've built around a core. They stayed patient with that core even after they had that humbling sweep by Columbus. So they know they have their top guys. It's harder to find those guys on the market, right? They're so expensive. But you can find guys at a um, relatively cheap price that fit those particular roles that kind of the little bit engine of your team. And that's what they've done. Yeah. It's, it's really remarkable. Uh, you've gotten a chance to cover the longest tenured coach in the NHL now for a long, long time. And John Cooper, um, I know when a lot of us uh, writers swoop in and cover him, it's like, we're just sort of in awe of just his <laughs> folksy manner. I mean, he just seems like he explains things like, you know, Arthur Staple, our colleague, our Rangers colleague the other day was asking about the, the Rangers power play. Yeah. And a lot of coaches would not want to start, discussing how to defend a power play like that and yet he's giving all this type of insight like you know and x's and o's and um what's it like covering cooper because you've written every john <laughs> cooper story imaginable it's un tell, tell just like give like five or six of your stories that you've written on him because like i mean just the like the cliff note versions because well he's are, he's the one of the most interesting coaches in the sport, right? The most unique path going from a lawyer to Wall Street to, you know, everything else. And so I try to get each part of his journey, like each chapter, right? Like the first high school team in Michigan that he coached, that he was a, a lawyer working in pro bono cases and the judge asked him to coach his son's team and they went and won 
um, a regional championship that year. So yeah. I talked to all like twelve of the kids from that team for like a little uh, story on who that who was John Cooper that first year. Uh, Texarkana days with Pat Maroon, um, you know his Hofstra lacrosse days and how that was formative. The coaches who coached him back up, uh, you know, uh, we grew up in, in Prince George and like that. So I think um, you know, you know the Norfolk, you know. Uh, the record 29 straight wins in the AHL. That was the first championship at the pro level for him. So uh, you try to chronicle his journey and you try to find common themes of why is this guy so successful? Um, and like I think he's like, he put it many times, it's culture over strategy for him more than X's and O's and have one hell of a goalie. And he's obviously had Ben Bishop and Vasilevsky, but I think he's such a, he manages people and players better than I think most coaches around, uh, you have other guys that can help you access and nose, and he's really smart, like as you mentioned before, but he really can read the room, know when to push, know when to pull back. Um, I look at that series, uh, or game game two in New York, after that second period, or, or first period, I think he kind of like ripped the team and like kind of got their attention and like, hey, like the series has already started a game and a half ago, let's get going. They didn't win that game, but you started to see them, them push and start to get their game their legs and find prove their game so when game three they were ready to go there's a great video actually uh the, that uh, he was doing a nick paul was doing an interview with a french uh, tv station up there in montreal um it might have been just rds or something yeah. and uh all of a sudden john cooper interrupts the uh, policy get in here yeah. like okay yeah and he, miss this one yeah <laughs> and he ripped that team uh that team but yet you know he comes out after game two and he can calmly answer questions, wasn't pissed, didn't yeah. look like he was panicked. It, it, it looked like a coach that was super, super confident that he knows this group, that at a minimum they were going to respond at home. And, and they, they respond to his personality. They reflect his personality, right? If he's, mm -hmm. You never see him go freak out on the bench, maybe on some Wes McCauley or some, some calls there here and there, but he's always had a calm demeanor. <laughs> that number that, four he called him, right? <laughs> number four or whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, but he always has that calm, like, swagger, and that swagger to him, and the, and the team – Kind of embodies that and so and he'll never hear him rip a player i don't know how many coaches you've had in in your career mike who have maybe ripped guys publicly right yep. and that's just not john's mo like he'll rip them behind the scenes but he's not going to go yep. for us and say this guy is a passenger this guy wasn't doing anything so i don't know if you've encountered maybe some more colorful coaches in your career who i have i've had i've <laughs> i've covered some colorful ones uh definitely i've covered i mean you know it's funny because you think about like you've covered essentially yeah. one coach there right yeah. i mean uh in your time covering the lightning you started at the st pete times when we're going to talk a little bit about your uh, journey to being a beat writer here in a bit um but uh but you know i've covered it Hundreds. I mean, it feels that way. Like, uh, honestly, in Florida during my 10 years there, I covered, I believe, more than 10 coaches. Wow. You know, between Brian Murray, Doug McClain, Dwayne Sutter, Mike Keenan, Rick Dudley, John yeah. Torchetti. I mean, it was. Who's the most fascinating one, dude? Who's the most. Who's the one Probably most Keenan. Yeah. Um, definitely Keenan because, I mean, Doug McClain was fun because it was my first. Uh, I mean, his first. Uh, Three years of coach was my yeah. first three years as a beat writer. And so just getting to know him, how to do the job, you know, those times. He gets fiery. He gets yeah. pissed off. Talked to him the other day, and he was ripping me about something, usually with lightheartedness. Um, light, um, but Keenan, you know, was definitely the most, um, you know, tried to be the most intimidating, you know, the way he was with then motivating um, uh, players and things like that. He would try to play those same mental games, I think, with the beat writers at times. Um, Terry Murray, I really, really enjoyed. I loved shooting the breeze with him. He used to drive the PR guys nuts because after his scrums with us, he would sometimes sit and talk to David J. Neal, Brian Began, yeah. and me for an hour. 
um, just shooting wow. the breeze about hockey. And mm. the PR guys are like, hey, we got stuff to do. Um, in Minnesota, I mean, Jacques was just a legend, obviously. And I think it took him a while to warm up to why this Floridian, even though I'm from New York, this Floridian hockey writer comes up and tries to, you know. Stir things yeah, up. Pretend, <laughs> yeah, pretend that he knows the game yeah. as much as uh, him. And um, and then we've had just, I mean, I loved co- covering Yo. I loved mm. Boudreaux. I mean, Everson's been great as well. So it's been, it's been cool in Minnesota. Um, you know, but it, I, I just, I do like dealing with John too. Um, you know, he's, he's also very accessible, you know, I mean, yeah. last year I was doing a bunch of coaches things and some of his emails back are just absolutely downright hilarious too. Yeah. Um, no, he can, like I, there's certain things, you know, you catch him at the right moment, the right topic. I know I did that story on the Norfolk team that he mm-hmm. had that Tyler Johnson, Andre Pollock, Kalorn, And I was like, Hey, you want to do the story? It's a 20 or how many 10 year anniversary of this moment. And so we went into his office and brought Brian Garlock in, who was a, who's been an assistant coach with him for his entire career. And they were just talking over different memories at that time. Like talked for 30 minutes at his office just about that. And he brought up the CD from that, that year. And he's like, they wanted to get it digitized. So they could show some of the guys. Like, um, and he's like, of all the teams I've ever coached, like that's one I'll probably keep in touch with most of the guys. And mm-hmm. that's from Norfolk, you know, yeah. Virginia from 10 years ago and like that. So. so so like the other night, Palat scores the huge goal, 41.6 yeah. seconds left. I mean, you know, Palat... John Cooper is essentially Platt's only pro coach. I, you know, yeah. I think there was a time in that first year that when that first year that that Cooper was called up, that Platt was. I think Zettler was. I think yeah. was the coach there. Yeah. So I mean, so John's basically been. I mean, how much do you think? You know, every coach has his, his personal guy that he just loves, right? I mean, Dean Evison. Every all yeah. Minnesota Wild fans know that. Freddie Goudreau can do no wrong <laughs> yeah. in Minnesota, right? Um, had him in Milwaukee. Blah blah blah. Um, how much do you think that deep down there's just that pride there from John Cooper when a guy like Palat, who is always, as he said yeah. really poignantly after that game, is always kind of the third or four, the third, you know, what he said is he's always the third guy talked about on his lines. But he's always the engine of those yeah. lines, the triplets, you know, even that line back in Norfolk with him and Richard Ponick and Tyler Johnson that mm-hmm. dominated the league. Like, he's always been that kind of the, the under uh, – under the radar guy, but, but yeah, no, there's guys like him. There's Tyler Johnson. He's an incredibly loyal coach. Right. And he knows guys that went through wars. He's one, when you win a title with somebody, you bond them, bond, bond with them forever. Right. And so I think that's why you saw Tyler Johnson in recent years. He didn't, you know, bench him or scratch him when he was struggling mm-hmm. like he stood behind him. They put him on waivers. He, he kind of brought him back into it. So, uh, Andre Palat's one of those guys. He'll go down as one of the best lighting players of all time. And it may not be, May not have his name in the rap or jersey in the rafters, or he's not going to be maybe not a Hall of Fame guy, but the guy was a seventh round pick, and you're getting easy yeah. second most uh, playoff goals in Lightning history. That's more than Marty, more than Vinny, more than Stamkos, uh, more than Braden Point, only behind Nikita Kucherov, who's you know be a Hall of Famer eventually in his own right. But um, that's how Lightning win. They find guys in the seventh round that turn. I mean, that's an anomaly, right? Guys that turn into that. Yeah. You got the Lundquists and the Zetterbergs and those guys who come and be big time yeah. players, but. You need those guys to win championships, um, and as they found out the last couple of years. When I talked to Tyler Johnson the other day, um, and Wilds fans, it always just pains them when uh, I mention Tyler Johnson because I don't know if you remember. So, so the story goes is that um, Johnson and Spurgeon are dominating up in Spokane, Spokane, yeah. right? And um, Wild bring them both to development camp. They're both are unbelievable. They bring them back to Traverse City. Uh, they plan on signing them both. First shift in Traverse City, uh, shoulder, uh, Johnson busts mm-hmm. his shoulder up. They sign Spurgeon, who is Spokane's yeah. captain. They send Johnson back to 
uh, Spokane, he has the 100-point season, 53 goals. Now it's a bidding war to try yeah. to sign Johnson. Eiserman obviously gets him. It's between Detroit, Tampa Bay, and Minnesota, and he signs in Tampa, and the rest is history. Yeah. Wins a couple cups there. Um, but then Eiserman called him, basically, the recruiting effort. And Eiserman is obviously a very powerful figure, so if he, he calls you, you, you listen, right? And so he called Tyler up in like Spokane. He's like, hey, I want to come see you play. And he's like, well, it's a kind of a snowstorm out here. I don't know if you want to go. He's like, I'll come. And he's like, no, no, worry about it. You know, I know you well, blah, blah, blah. And then one thing that sealed the deal was, you know, he, Tyler Johnson's dad, Ken, is a big Eiserman fan. Mm-hmm. And so Eiserman ended up calling him, and it made his, like, year, <laughs> you know, and just said, you know, hey, you know, just, hey, I'm Steve Eiserman. And he's like, I know who you are. And then they had this conversation, and it really kind of, you know, you know, Steve Eiserman is gives that outward exterior of being this really tough. And he was really interesting guy to cover because of his stature and, and who he is and like, yeah. you know, um, but he has the other side to him that where he's able to, the sense of humor and uh, the personal side, they're able to connect with players um, and their families. And that was obviously one of his biggest uh, hits right there. Yeah. And Johnson um, was saying the other day about Pilate and, and, you know, it might've been foreshadowing. He's like, any coach will love this guy. And mm-hmm. um, as you pointed out before I was writing that story the other day is that he is a pending UFA Pilate. And so this could be his last run with the lightning. It could. I mean, I think they want to keep him. Um, they're up against the cap as they are every year. Um, he would be a guy that they try to keep. But, you know, you have him and Nick Paul are the two main UFAs, I think, mm-hmm. going into the summertime. And I think it's hard to imagine the team with either, without either of those guys, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Plot's been such a fixture. Nick Paul's been a revelation, and I don't think they get to this far without him. Game Two goals in Game 7 against the Leafs, and he fits their identity. So um, some tough decisions. Julian Breesball's pulled off some magic before with the yeah. cap. Um, but Suddenly, I, there's going to be somebody that gets magically uh, like s- surgery. Not an injury, but somebody might months. get moved or like yeah. hell. You know, Andre Pilat. If you, you win the third straight cup, why would you want to bring it back? Yeah. Why would not you take maybe a, a shorter deal, like a cheaper deal? Say, hey, I want to go let's go for yeah. four. Like so, the, a lot of these things that go into play. Like Andre Pilat is loves the area. Him and his, you know, his wife and his kid, and like they really connect here. I don't think any of these guys want to. Yeah. Yanni Gore didn't want to leave. Todd Johnson didn't want to leave. Yeah. Right? It's just part of the deal. Um, so if they're going to find a way to make it work, I think they'll try to do it. Why wouldn't anybody want to stay in Tampa? I was walking around Hyde Park the other day, and I was looking over the water at Davis Island, where all the guys, all the mansions, was, you know, oh where the like, Russos like, of the world live. Yeah, you know, yeah, the rest of us like, are in St. Pete. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, what? Are, oh, just lastly, before we just quickly give everybody just uh, your journey to this uh, this spot in your career. Um, Let's talk Braden Point, because as much as this uh, podcast uh, hopefully will be listened to by a lot of hockey fans and definitely Lightning fans, Wild fans listen to this podcast a lot. You've written a lot about Braden Point and how the Lightning got Braden Point and has a major, major role, the Minnesota Wild, to get him. Tell everybody that story. Well, it was on the draft and and Braden Point, you know, you know, he was a guy that was very successful in junior. He was like a guy who played a big role and he wasn't a big guy though. His size was an issue. People may felt his skating wasn't, you know, elite. Um, so the reason why he fell to the third round and so the lightning were interested in him. He was like last guy in that, you know, people know draft list. There's like tiers, right? He was the last guy in that level list before it kind of drops off. And so they wanted to see if they can get him in the third round. Well, they didn't know, you know, who might take him before them. So they tried to trade up, trade up, trade up, trade up. You know, was on the phone the whole time, and he finally gets a hold of you know of Minnesota. Uh, and Al Murray, the scouting director for Lightning, knows the scouting director of Minnesota well. He's like, you know, points the kind of guy they could take. You know, maybe we should move up. Brent so, Flair was the guy. Yeah. At the yeah. Time. And so he called him, and uh, I think they asked Eiserman like, "Who are you going to take?" And he's like, you "Might take Braden Point." And and Minnesota's like they had him and Louis Belpedio, I think, ranked mm-hmm. pretty similarly. Um, and so they swapped spots. 
Braden Poitek by the Lightning, um, and then Wild got their guy in Belpedio, and uh, you know I think the rest didn't is history. Out. The rest <laughs> is history. So you know those changing up one spot. I think you know, Jerry Johansson called it one of the great, greatest draft trades in history. I'm like. Uh, Maybe a little hyperbole there, but it was still right up there. Yeah, as yeah, far yeah. As I don't know. I mean, the guy that's got the most goals in the league in the playoffs the last, last three years. years. So it definitely yeah. was up there for as far as moving up. All those times during the draft, you're like, oh, there's a trade yeah. in the third round. Someone's moved up one spot. Like, what, what the hell are they doing that for? What's the big deal? Those, that's why it's a big yeah. deal sometimes, right? And we all wonder why the Wild have never <laughs> had a number one center in the history of the organization. And Not stuff cheap. Like yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. Um, tell everybody, so you're from Michigan. Um, how did yeah. you get into the business? Um, I grew up um, in Sterling Heights, Michigan, um, same place that Craig Cousins, our, our colleague, grew up, um, and went to University of Michigan. And that's, I didn't really know if I wanted to be a writer or not, but I, I walked, I was at a, my sociology class freshman year, and one of my classmates was opening up a, the Michigan Daily, the student paper there, and he had his a byline. He was in, like, you know, like, you know Sault Ste. Marie for a game, and he covered it, and I thought that was the coolest thing. So I grew up reading Mitch Album and Detroit Free Press, and I like, really loved sports and really loved storytelling, but I didn't know if I, where, I could, where could I do it. So I volunteered the next day at the student paper and wrote, um, you know, like a college football roundup. My first story, my first beat was women's tennis. And I wrote, I think I wrote more features than anybody else had wrote about women's tennis in their mm-hmm. life. You know, just had a, had a passion for it and was there for four years. Um, uh, obviously loved it. And then, you know, I moved around the country before I got to Tampa, right? I was in Raleigh, North Carolina for an internship uh, for a summer when the ACC expansion was just starting. So I'm on the phone with like, Trangisi and the commissioner at nine o'clock at night nice. trying to figure out stuff like that. Um, and then went to Modesto, California, believe it or not, where I covered high school football. I did a, a breaking away beat where I did first person stories like whitewater rafting. I did an adventure race. I tried out for an AFL two team, like open wow. tryouts. Um, you have smaller papers like that. I don't know, you know, your history, Mike, in terms of small papers, you might have worked that, but you get to do a little bit of everything, right? You mm-hmm. get to dip your toes and kind of get that experience. So I covered rodeo, I covered Modesto Nuts baseball. Um, high school football in, in, in middle of California, which is really big. And so that was kind of, um, you know, for a couple of years there was, was pretty interesting. And that's before I got the big break and got, you know, moved over to Tampa. That's awesome. So, and then you started the St. Pete Times and then St. Pete Times, yeah, I'd applied for internship there a couple of times and didn't hear anything back. And one of the editors there, um, reached out to me when I was in Modesto, I was actually looking to move to the East coast, um, for a girl I was dating at the time was living out there and. And he's like, hey, um, I like, like your stuff. We kept your stuff on file. If you had any interest in working here, you send me some more clips and send him some more clips. And then probably in for an interview, start covering high school sports in, in St. Pete. And that was my first you know, job at the St. Pete Times then. And within eight months, I was kind of the roving backup for the Rays, Bucks, and Lightning. And that year, of course, in 08 was the year the Rays went to the World Series. So that was a good baptism yeah. in the pro sports. And then Super Bowl was there that year. Um, uh, I think the the Steelers and the and the Cardinals that cover Super Bowl as like one of the third or fourth writers on that beat, and then so I just really kind of, you know, gradu- gradually went to hockey because hockey was the third sport I was kind of the backup for, and really fell in love with the sport. And Damian Cristadero, the great beat writer at Tampa yeah. Bay Times, I kind of learned from him. And then once he uh, decided to move on and, and leave the business, uh, I took over the beat, and then I've uh, been there ever since. Yeah, Damian was a great guy. Um, and uh, Tampa's had a long history of awesome sports writers. I mean, I've uh, you know I mm-hmm. used to work with Ira Kaufman, who's a character, mm-hmm. and Tom Jones, and obviously Roy Cummings, and uh, people like that. And and we got uh, obviously Joe Smith. You came to the Athletic in twenty nineteen or twenty eighteen, right before the the playoffs that year. So um, so it's it's been a little over four years now. Uh, so it's been crazy ride, and it's been nice to be able to stay. In, you leave a job, but you stay in your own house or stay in your own market, right? It's yeah, rare that, like, like for yourself too. You, you covered the same beat for a mm-hmm. long time, so I'm sure it was nice for you. Just easy transition, just to go right. No doubt, 
Yeah, no doubt. It's it is funny because I, uh, you know, you were talking about your path, and I, I just, you know, I get real lucky. I've, yeah. I've basically worked two places my entire life. Well, three with the athletic now, but two markets. Uh, you know, like I grew up in South Florida. I just I befriended all the local sports writers. Yeah. In fact, really, one big reason why I'm doing this job today is David O'Brien was our Palm Beach preps writer at the Sun Sentinel, and now he is our Atlanta Braves writer yeah. at the Athletic. And um, he was the Palm Beach preps writer, and he got me into the door at 15 years old, and I was answering calls, taking box agate, scores. Agate calls, yeah, yeah. Agate and, and doing all the top performers. That was when you had the huge broadsheet of, of uh, high school stats, because you know how big high school sports mm-hmm. is in Florida, and I'd cover all the state events. And so I really worked for the Sun Sentinel, um, then the Star Tribune, and the Athletic for my entire career. Now, I had like little like a freelance gigs for the Boca News and yeah. Associated Press, my, my one semester, I went to University of Florida. I worked for the Williston Sun, mm-hmm. Swanee Valley News, covering high school football for Williston High School, you know, Williston. Um, but that's it. I've never really had a bounce around the country. So it's, it's, it is amazing everybody's path to get mm-hmm. to that certain place. But the one common denominator is that you had to do a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And I, same thing. I mean, I was covering cross-country meets yeah. for five, six years before I became the Panthers beat writer. And I think a lot of young sports journalists think that, like, all right, I'm going to graduate college and, all right, make me the Dolphins writer, yeah. make <laughs> me the Bucks writer, make me, you know, yeah. make me the Vikings writer. It, you, have to, it, you have to grind. And, it, and I, I think you probably agree with me on this one, too. I think if you can cover high school sports, you cover pretty much anything. I right. think it's such a that's how you great learn training. How to, that's how you learn yeah. how to re- interview, how you learn to report. It's having less pressure so you can make some mistakes in your interview process. Mm-hmm. You, can, you, can, you track your own stats on the yep. sidelines of a rainy football field, right? Yep. Everybody, you file from a 7-Eleven parking lot when there's no, like, Wi-Fi. You yep. know, like, if you can do that pressure, you can handle a lot of other things where we get fed stats. We have stuff online. Like, there are yeah. NFL games that give you so much stuff, like, so I think for me, that was a really important proving ground of like saying, okay, if I can do this, you know, I can, yeah. you know, it's obviously more pressure and there's more eyeballs and like, obviously it's a bigger stage and mm-hmm. the athletes are obviously much better. But I think when you cover those sports, you learn a lot about the business, about interviewing, about writing, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had that same experience. No, absolutely. That's, that's your training ground. I mean, it, I think it's very, very important. And unfortunately, because a lot of newspapers don't cover really high schools anymore, you don't get that that learning experience. But, uh, you know, everything you just said there struck memories of me on our, in our you know, storm in South Florida or filing out uh, with acoustic couplers at a, uh, a 7-Eleven parking lot and praying nobody's making noise because those, you know, the newspaper would garble and you'd have to send and send and send. Um, real quick, lastly on the Lightning, um, let's just assume they get by this series. Now they go head-to-head with the, yeah. the, the Colorado Avalanche, which has only played 14 games in the playoffs. They're 12 and two. They look totally dominant. Now, the only issue they might have is like, all right, goaltending. You got Kemper and Fransu. Um, what do you, how do you think the Lightning? Everybody uh, is thinking that they're just going to hand a cup to, to Colorado. Can the Lightning three peat? They can. And obviously, you have to get through the series first, but I think they have the recipe. I mean, and Colorado might be one of their toughest tests yet because of how fast they are, how explosive they are. Um, but I think goaltending can be the great equalizer in that series. I think it all lines up if the Lightning do end up winning this series, and that's a big if, that they'll be playing off, coming off momentum of a, a really big, maybe seven-game series, feeling the flow, and then you know Colorado will be on that 12-day break, right? Mm-hmm. And they'll maybe feel the same effects that the Lightning went through in Game 1 and Game 2 against New York, and that might give them a little bit of a boost. And, you know, I'd love to see, you know, healthy Braden Point and McKinnon go head-to-head or Sorelli McKinnon. I'd love to see this, the storylines of Victor Hedman and, and Kale McCarr, right? You yeah. know, just like we've seen in Adam Fox and, and, and Victor Hedman in this series. So I think 
people and I picked Colorado to win the cup going into this year for our predictions, you know, so I'd reason reason why people think they're going to win. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if the lighting do get this series, I matchup, I think a lot of people would love to see. Yeah, it'll it'll be uh, it'll be quite the quite the challenge I think for both teams. Uh, Adam Foot against the Sun, right? Adam yeah, Foot, the, the yeah, yeah. Against the, there you go, the and you there you go. You're already thinking of story ideas <laughs> right away. It's unbelievable, <laughs> yeah. this guy. Um, it's it's amazing the way that you can multitask. Like you said, how you're chipping away. Like my biggest problem is organization. Like I feel like mm-hmm. if I'm working on too many th- stories, I get all mm-hmm. convoluted. I also have this newspaper thing in me that I can't uh, kick. That I just feel like. If I have something, I got to get it out right away. Yeah. Or you're good at just holding and holding and holding and being comfortable that if, hey, you know, if I can't write this Julian Breezeball this year, I'll just write it next year. You know, write like I just can't do that. Like, yeah. And then what happened last year, like Ross Colton scored the cup clinching mm-hmm. goal, right? And I'd been working on a Ross Colton story, like a feature, talked to mm-hmm. like his high school coach and talked to like his junior coach and like his family. And I'm like, I was running during the playoffs, but as you mm-hmm. know, the playoffs go crazy, something happens. And, it doesn't work out, and just so happened that Ross Colton scored the mm-hmm. cup clinching goal, and so I was able to turn that around the next day, like kind of like behind Ross the boss Colton and how he got here, and like I knew he'd, he had Zach Parise was his hero, and he grew up to him, yep. and I know you helped me connect with with Parise, and so I was able to text Parise that night, and like, what do you think of his goal, and then he gave me this reaction, and so to be able to, you know, sometimes you get lucky in this business, and sometimes as long as you have that stuff prepared, I wasn't yeah. able, after the cup, you know, we're working until two in the morning. I didn't have to like get up, start calling everybody in the world who's probably getting called that day anyways about Ross Colton. Yeah. I had it all there, and that way I could be able to just put it out yeah. that next day. Which, fortunately, and then obviously, um, was a hell of a moment for him and taking off from there. Yeah, no, it's pretty cool. Um, well, Joe, you are the best in the business. So one of the things that you said that really struck home for me is how you got into the business by seeing your friend's byline in the Minnesota Daily and how it just sort of inspired you. And I could totally relate to that. I think all sports writers can, especially ones that work in the newspaper. There's just something so satisfying that next day when you work hard on a story and then you see your actual byline in the newspaper. I remember just last story when when I left the Star Tribune in 2017, my brother was in just coincidentally in Minnesota, staying at the residence inn at the depot downtown Minneapolis, and I was there that morning on a Sunday. He's a lawyer who's helping negotiate my contract with Alex Mather, our CEO yeah. at the time, and it's still CEO, um, co-founder. And um, I remember as my brother was on this conference call talking to Alex, I'm staring at these like 20 Sunday edition Star Tribunes sitting on the in the breakfast area of yeah. the of the residence in lobby. And I'm looking at these things, and I open up the sports section, and I see my last Sunday column with my, my column sig oh, on yeah. there. And honestly, like, tears got in my eyes. Just yeah. seeing my byline, there's just some, something about that in a newspaper. And I think all sports writers are like that. You just look, make sure your story's there, yeah. and then you move on to the next story. Never reread your story, yeah. though. That's the only time you get stressed, see what they cut. Mistake. Yeah, back when they could cut, the newspaper used to cut things. You know, yeah, the athletic week read forever, right? Yeah, exactly. Say all and the time. So, well, fans know that about me. Well, hey, Joe, you are the absolute best. You're a machine. Uh, really appreciate you joining straight from the oh, source. It's been a, it's been a, my first time on your podcast, right? That's been a blast. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we'll hopefully we'll do it again soon, and maybe we'll do it again uh, in a few weeks. Yeah, so definitely, because I'll be covering the Stanley Cup final with you, maybe, uh, mm-hmm. or Arthur Staple and Peter Baugh and Pierre Lebrun. Um, Joe, uh, thanks a lot again, and uh, let's take a quick break. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. all I well, thanks to Joe Smith, our Athletic Tampa Bay Lightning beat writer, for joining the Athletics uh, straight from the source today. Lots of podcasts throughout our platform. New Buffalo Sabres writer Matt Fairburn, who I exchanged uh, texts with yesterday, joins Craig Custance and Sean Gentile this week on the Athletic Hockey Show USA. And I actually talked Stanley Cup Finals and cigars with Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and Sarah Sivian yesterday in the roundtable of the Athletic Hockey Show. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform and leave a rating and review. And right now, get an annual subscription to The Athletic for just a buck a month for six months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Talk to you next week, everybody. Everybody.